Hey, I'm Dana Gresh. And I'm Bob Gresh. Let's explain how we got here. On a podcast for marriages impacted by lust and pornography. We're actually your average couple. Bob likes football. Dana doesn't. But she did try once. I'm currently reading Football for Dummies. Incidentally, on the first page, it says that football is a game that two teams play. At the end of 60 minutes, the ones with the most points wins. 60 minutes. 60 minutes, it had the nerve to tell me. See, I'm not that dumb, girls. But I have decided that from now on, I want all my massages to be scheduled in football minutes. I'm going to use this. That was in 2017. Dan and I were addressing an audience of a few thousand women at a Revive Our Hearts conference. And to be honest, neither of us wanted to be doing it. That morning, we'd actually had a little fight in the hotel room. Bob talked about it when we shared. Just this morning, I couldn't find my socks in the hotel room. I looked for them and I thought, how can I lose my socks in this hotel room? And there was a tiny moment when I thought to myself, my wife took those socks. <laughs> and she put those socks somewhere in this hotel room. She's going to help me look for them. And I'm going to find them later. Which never happens. She doesn't usually take my socks. And I never found those socks. And that is why I'm wearing my wife's socks today. <laughs> Aren't some of the things we fight about just plain dumb? Ah, well, Bob and I are what you might call a high-conflict couple, so we fought about some pretty dumb stuff. But we've also been high-impact. We've done a lot of amazing things by being together, including starting a couple of ministries. And from the beginning, we desired to lead with our limp. So often, leaders lead the platforms letting you think the very best about them allowing you to fill in the unknown parts of their lives like spaces on the path in Candyland. And I can tell you that we don't live on Gumdrop Mountain. We tend to live somewhere between the candy cane forest and the molasses swamp. <laughs> we are both passionate, type A, intense personalities. We're also leaders who've been called to direct ministries who aren't always called in the same direction. So it stretches us to the core. It's that stretching to the core part we want to talk to you about. And that day in 2017, we shared about it publicly. And then there's this. I put Dana through hell. And I use that phrase because I know no other word to describe the depth of pain that I brought into our marriage. My struggles with lust, pornography, depression, anxiety, and all the relational disasters produced by it have brought her to places where she had no good choices. And it is the great sadness in my life. It is the great sadness in my life. Hey there. Welcome to the Happily Even After podcast where you'll hear a story of a husband and wife who did not ride off into the sunset but found themselves fighting a man's fierce battle with lust and pornography. Bob and Dana Gresh are raw, real, and honest. 
Their guests are wise experts in the work of marriage recovery. Some have degrees in therapy or psychology. Others have learned their lessons on the hot pavement of life. They'll help you explore seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. Oh, and by the way, you can live happily even after. Welcome. Yeah, welcome to our living room. This is a limited series podcast in just eight episodes. You'll discover some of the very best biblically-based, clinically-informed ministries, tools, and resources to support you as a couple. Just check out the show notes for links to people and ministries we mention. Explore the seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. We'll cover one each week, starting with the next podcast. And you'll hear our redemption story. The good, the bad, the ugly the beautiful. We really hope to shorten the time you spend in the lonely, confused, and traumatic time between discovery and what we'll call, for the time being, recovery. Now, when we shared our story for the first time, I thought maybe we'd have a handful of women to pray with. So when one woman boldly walked up to us, we just moved to the side to listen to her heart. When she left, there was another one behind her. Yeah, actually, there was a long line behind her. And I think it was about I don't know, three hours that we spent praying with women. They wanted hope. And for each one we spoke to, I knew there was a man at home facing the same battle that I had. And that day when we shared our story, my heart was moved by the women we met. And I knew God was asking me, prompting me to do the one thing I didn't want to do, which was share my story, our story. The fact is our story is fairly common. Here's apologist Josh McDowell. When you start doing your research and you double check it because you can't believe the stats. I mean, I just, it's hard to believe them, but I know they're accurate. Where 70% of evangelical men monthly pursue pornography in the internet. That was Josh McDowell, who was a guest on the Pure Desire podcast after he launched an initiative to research the porn epidemic just a few years ago. Josh curated thousands of pages of credible data on pornography and the church. He claims that not only are the majority of evangelical males using porn, but most, if not all of them, could be considered sex addicts. Wow. Basically, most of the men who are using it can't or won't stop. Sadly, that won't offend as many people as it should. We as a culture and as the church are becoming complacent about pornography. Here's Jackie Hill Perry. I was on Instagram and I was uh, scrolling and I saw a video of this older guy with his teenage son and they were joking about like his son pretty much watching porn. Hmm. And I looked at the comments to see like how people felt about it. I was like, cause this is disturbing to me. And everybody thought it was funny, you know? And it was, it was kind of talked about like, this is just a part of him becoming a man. That's, that's what it seemed like, how people interacted with the video itself. And it bothered me so deeply because I was like, this is, this is wicked. That was Jackie on the podcast she does with her husband, Preston. It's called 30 Minutes with the Perrys. And I really like what they have to say on that episode titled, So About Pornography. I love that Jackie says pornography and our complacent response to it is wicked. Don't let anyone tell you porn is anything but wicked. As long as you're walking with the Lord, the Holy Spirit is never going to let you be okay with anything less. 
than complete sexual fidelity in your marriage. That means zero tolerance for porn. It's impacting your marriage in ways you don't even realize. In fact, I wish I could go back and tell us that. Yeah, me too. To begin with, the brain of a porn addict is compromised. If you look at the functional scan of a healthy brain, you'll see that the surface of it will be smooth. But scan a man who is compulsively using pornography or misusing God's gift of sex over and over, and you'll get a completely different picture. The surface looks more like, almost like Swiss cheese, full of holes. It's similar to that of someone who uses heroin, one of the most dangerous and addictive substances known to mankind. Let me tell you how I experienced that. During this time, I was, let's say, double-minded. I was acting two different ways, one way in front of people and one way in the dark. It felt like a Swiss cheese sort of existence because there were gaps. Even in my memory, I was multitasking my stories, and it was tiring, really tiring. What began as a sin problem in my life eventually became a physiological brain problem. I needed professional help, and I needed the help of my family to have victory. Understanding that fact helped me to have some compassion for Bob. It it, it helped me to make a decision to stop fighting with him and start fighting for him. But speaking of brains, baby, what my brain had done was impacting what your brain was doing. Oh, you want to go there? Only if you do. Of course, I don't, but I knew my brain was not right. I felt foggy, fuzzy, mentally slow. Plus, my body was in chronic pain, and there wasn't a doctor who could tell me why. I was being tested for a lot of autoimmune stuff, like lupus, serious stuff. I was physiologically unwell. And you experienced that before I disclosed things to you. Yeah, because our bodies often pick up on cues, your husband not making eye contact, being less emotionally available, and your body's aware of what your heart won't admit. So it begins to suffer from inflammation, and that leads to a lot of other bad stuff. And as I've talked with countless women about their experiences, I realized I was not alone in this. Many women have undiagnosed physical ailments during the time that their husband is battling lust and pornography. I came to learn that what we're experiencing is called betrayal trauma. That's the emotional, physiological, and mental impact you experience when trust has been violated. It's a really big deal. At the saddest end of the spectrum, women who experience divorce are 24% more likely to experience a heart attack compared to women who remain married. And those divorcing two or more times experience an astonishing risk jump to 77%. Wow. I actually hardly believed that the first time I heard it. I know, I know, I remember. But I don't say something unless there's good science to back me up. The fact is, 70% of wives of sex addicts experience symptoms of PTSD. Now, that's not to say they have PTSD, but they experience similar physical and mental symptoms, along with the expected emotional aftermath. And those symptoms often get much worse when a man discloses his sin to his wife. When Ashley Jameson's husband told her his secrets, she reacted in ways she would never have predicted. Yeah, I remember in my early days of disclosure, my husband's disclosure, just feeling completely irrational, like my nerves were on the outside of my body, um, that I just had this constant energy running through. I was crying. I was throwing things. I was completely not myself. Today, Ashley Jamison guides biblically-based, clinically-informed women's groups for wives of sex addicts 
for a ministry called Pure Desire. Uh, that's a ministry we like a whole lot, by the way. Uh, Dana, Ashley mentioned throwing things. Maybe we should talk about that. <laughs> no, let's not. Okay. All right. I need to confess. So yeah, that happened in our house too. I threw things. And for me to hear Ashley say that validated what I had experienced. But I have to say it didn't validate the fact that I threw a vase to express my rage. Can I just say to the women that your husband is responsible to God for his sin, whether it's looking at porn or throwing things at you, and so are you. We each have to be responsible for our choices and actions, no matter what causes them. Which brings us back to me taking responsibility for, for my sin and how we got here, sitting in our red leather chairs in the living room talking to you. The red chairs. Yeah, they're important because what happened in these chairs, well, at the time, it felt like a mortal wound to our marriage. But in reality, it was the day we stopped living a lie. You see, we were enjoying our family, going on vacations, managing a little hobby farm, and running two successful ministries. We lived something that looked happy, but the truth was that we had fallen into something unhealthy and lonely that wasn't happy. I was haunted by guilt and shame from sin, which I desperately wanted to overcome without hurting Dana. At the same time, I buried myself in workaholism and busyness, which seems to be my go-to strategy for pain. It made my husband feel even more lonely, which lonely is a very bad emotion for an addict, and we're going to talk about that next week. And I was feeding it, but I didn't know it. We both felt the nudge of God's Spirit to slow down and get honest. But we didn't. We just kept on making a lie our refuge. Eventually, I got to the point where I had to tell Dana the whole truth. When I got home, she was near one of these red leather chairs. I asked her to sit in them with me. I doubt I'll ever forget the first words you said to me that day. They're seared into my memory. Do you, you remember what they were? Tell me. I don't know how to find my way back to you or to God without breaking your heart. And then you did. You broke my heart. This podcast is brought to you by Pure Freedom and Moody Publishers. Here's Dana Gresh. Now, maybe the idea of hearing the whole truth from your husband terrifies you. Satan likes to lie to us, telling us that the truth will be too devastating. But truth, though not always pain-free, is never destructive. It always sets us free. In fact, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we had to get up from these red chairs and work out that freedom. And here's something that's really important. We didn't walk alone. You cannot walk through what you're working through alone. You need a community of people who love you and can support you through this. But they need to be two things. One, rooted first and foremost in biblical truth. And two, but no less important, is clinical knowledge 
understanding of how addiction works and how it affects our relationships. Here's the thing. The free biblical counselor at your church may be great at breaking up fights about lost socks in hotel rooms, but they likely will be in over their heads when it comes to the clinical aspects of porn and sex addiction. And betrayal trauma. The only thing more traumatizing than a husband's battle with lust is some well-meaning person in your life making it worse because they don't have clinical understanding. I've experienced some of that pain. So had Bob. And because of that, we sought advice from an older man in our church that we really respected a great deal. He said, get the best help that exists. We interpreted that to mean find the most popular program in the recovery marketplace, the best one. So we selected a top-notch gold standard program, the best there is. Although the approach was essentially secular, we were assured that it featured a faith-based track consistent with our Christian beliefs. So less than a week after I confessed to Dana, I got on a plane. When I landed, I handed in my cell phone and surrendered to the authority of a team that I thought could help. And it did. It, it helped me quite a bit. But there was always something I knew that was missing. It's one thing to disclose your sin and to be among a bunch of guys and share, but there wasn't power in it. There was no presence of God in the work I was doing, and, and I knew that I needed that. And I also knew I wanted my wife to be involved. At home, my physical and mental symptoms were worsening. I became claustrophobic, lost like 20 pounds because I had no appetite, had gone from workaholic to barely functional. And even though I had godly women working with me and a great counselor, being cut off from Bob, it just wasn't healthy for me. When all of this was happening, I thought it was because I was weak, but that wasn't true. Meanwhile... Back at the treatment center, I was noticing a trend. We were filling out workbooks and telling our stories, but it's almost as if day after day that we were supposed to be healed just by telling our stories. And yes, people felt great about finally getting their secrets out, but that's not enough to heal. I knew there were missing components, at least two. One, my relationship with God being stronger, and two, my relationship with my wife being healed. The family therapy weekend kept being canceled, too. That really ticked Dana off. <laughs> yeah, it did. Their website promised I would be involved, but it wasn't happening, and that wasn't good for me. I didn't know why, but when I don't understand something, I tend to get bookish. So I began to really research the success rate of programs like the one Bob was in. I even, on one of the rare times I got his therapist to talk with me, asked about the data on their clients. And she said she'd have to get back to me. She never did. And that made me even more of a research hound. So let me just be direct and tell you what I found. These programs have a terrifyingly high failure rate. The late Neil Jacobson, a professor who specialized in research about marital discord, claimed that just 35 to 50% of couples in marital therapy saw improvements and after a year, less than half of those couples retained the benefits. This led John Gottman, he's a psychologist who's worked for more than four decades on divorce prediction and marital stability. Well, he wrote that in the long run, marital therapy did not benefit the majority of couples. Ugh. Let me tell you, if you place your trust in therapy and recovery, you may find yourself 
deeply disappointed in the results. We want to suggest a braver, more sacred option. Your marriage does not need recovery. It needs redemption. Yeah, redemption. It's the act of being saved from sin, error, or evil, and restored to healthy functioning. It's sin that's gotten you where you are right now. Let me say this. No program to heal your marriage from the effects of sin will work unless God is at the center of it. He alone can redeem us from our sin. That's why you need help that's both clinically informed and biblically based. We learned that the hard way. You don't have to. We just told you. Thankfully, God revealed that I needed to leave that recovery program. In fact, he told me and Dana at the same time. Do you remember that day? Oh, yeah. I was at home when I was suddenly overcome with an overwhelming urge to pray for you. I dropped to my knees, and words just flowed out of me as I talked to the Lord. I really found myself begging Him to move you on from that place so I could be involved in your treatment and counseling. And those were words I didn't expect, honestly. They surprised me. It was such a strong warfare sense of prayer that I wondered what was happening in your world at that moment. So I actually jotted the time down in my prayer journal. See, here it is. Oh, interesting. 6.51 in the evening. Hours later, you called. Yeah, I I was afraid of what you were going to think when I told you I wanted to leave that place. Here's how it happened. Earlier that day, I had attended a, a meeting that was specifically called by the staff Several of the men in the program had been concerned that uh, their wives, our wives, were not getting the support they needed. When they expressed that concern, they'd been told they were experiencing impaired thinking. The therapist had asked all of us to repeat, the team loves your wives and is doing their best to care for them. I jotted that remarkable statement down, too. In my experience, it was not true. Look. Oh, wow, you actually wrote that down. Then I asked you, What time did this meeting happen? Well, it was underway at the exact same time you were praying, and God prompted me to pray at the same time. I was scared to death to call you to say I wanted to leave the program or quit the program. But when we talked, I realized you were praying and your heart was soft to the same thing. That made me feel really confident about my decision to leave. Listen, you are in a cosmic spiritual battle. I'm not being overdramatic, but don't take my word for it. Dr. Julie Slattery has devoted her life to studying both the biblical and clinical aspects of sexual brokenness. Here's what she says. We have to ask the question, why is sexuality under such attack? And not just within marriage. We see it under attack in the larger culture. And uh, when we step back, we say, okay, Satan puts his resources where he knows the battle is most important. And so he sees the important significance of sexuality. He sees Hmm. the spiritual power of sexuality. 
one thing that I've realized is that sex will never be a neutral issue in your marriage. It'll either draw you together or it'll tear you apart. I also think that sex will never be an, a neutral issue in your relationship with God. It's either going mm-hmm. to re- be revealing God's goodness or it also for so many people is a barrier to uh, I can't get close to God because I'm angry or because I feel shame. That was Dr. Julie Slattery in the Focus on the Family Studios talking about our need to rethink godly sexuality in marriage. Bob, have you experienced sex as God's goodness, or have you experienced it as a barrier to Him? Well, to me, it was both. And I think that while I was walking this out, while I was in this dark place, I understood God's goodness through it. I understood that intimacy uh, with Dana was important, and it was God's design. And because of that, I also understood that when I'm misusing sex or lust or pornography, that that was not part of God's design. And that brought shame and created a barrier between me and God and me and Dana. Satan is after your marriage. Don't forget that. You must not divorce the involvement of the Holy Spirit from this work you're doing. If you place your trust in mere therapy and recovery that's not saturated in the truth of God, you may find yourself deeply disappointed in the results. We were, but we weren't about to quit. I spent the next 24 hours making phone calls, starting with a close friend. Hi, Dana. You might recognize that voice. Julie Slattery and I co-wrote a book together several years earlier, and I was so thankful to have her number in my smartphone. Julie is wise. I told her what we were experiencing and asked, why do we both feel this isn't right for us? Julie didn't judge us for the mistake we'd made, but affirmed that we needed the power of God's truth in the work we were doing. She offered me the names of some places that provide biblically-based and clinically-informed care. And you know, if I'm honest— That was the phone call where I began to experience hope. Julie's biblical grounding gave her an authority and a peace in how she advised me, and her clinical awareness enabled her to point me to the good news in the data, the stuff that hardly makes the headlines. Not everybody who experiences trauma is traumatized. That's in-demand trauma therapist Victoria Gutbrod. I was listening to Java with Julie. That's the name of Dr. Julie Slattery's amazing podcast. Julie and Victoria were talking about trauma, and that single sentence drew me in. Not everybody who experiences trauma is traumatized. I leaned in to hear more. What is the big difference? And the big difference is, does that person on the other end have connection and safety? Is that restored to them? Um, There's some things that they may have to work through long-term about the implications of what happened. However, their system isn't trapped in a mode that develops PTSD. Julie and Victoria went on to explain how important it is to have a community that is unafraid to wade into the deep waters of talking about your trauma. You have to talk about what's happened together. The people who help you need to nurture you as a couple to experience connection and safety. Well, I was determined to work through the implications of what had happened in our lives, and I wanted to do it together. So I spent the next 24 hours making phone calls, interviewing biblically-based, clinically-informed centers. And my first question was this, how can I be a part of this process in my husband's life? 
Now, Julie had told me that her first choice for me would be a man named Pete Kuiper, but when I called his counseling center, they told me he couldn't be reached. He was at some remote location counseling people at a retreat center. I begged them, will you please just give him my cell phone number and ask him to call me? I kept on interviewing other locations when suddenly my phone rang. Yeah, hi, this is Pete Kuiper. And within about 48 hours, I was on another plane. Now, there's part of me that felt a lot of relief. And there was another part of me that thought that was kind of a fun place to be compared to where I'm going, where I'll have to be with Dana in an intimate setting working through all this. It it created a lot of pain in me that uh, started to rise to the top. But little did I know, I was about to meet the man who had changed the way I thought about emotional pain. I really believe that pain is God's gift rather than a problem. It is his smoke alarm for telling us something's really wrong. Pete Kuiper is the co-founder of Crossroads Counseling of the Rockies in Buena Vista, Colorado. When I met him, I was trying hard to shut my emotions off, but he wouldn't let me. And I won't let you. I sincerely believe that every couple walking through trauma needs a dose of this man. And that's exactly what we're going to give you in the next episode of Happily Even After, when we explore truth number one, emotions are essential ingredients of intimacy. Yeah, we asked Pete if we could call him from from right here in our red leather chair so that you could hear his life-changing words for yourself. We've grown up believing that pain is bad because we hate to feel it. And so we find every way we can to either numb it out or block it out or avoid it or self-medicate it because we want to get rid of that pain. And one of our core teachings at Crossroads is that pain is actually not bad. It's actually one of God's most important gifts. Well, that's this episode of the Happily Even After limited series podcast with Bob and Dana Gresh. Be sure to check out the show notes at danagresh.com. If you don't already have a copy of Happily Even After, Let God Redeem Your Marriage, get one anywhere you like to buy books. Episodes one through seven of this podcast support key chapters in that book. They contain conversation prompts to explore the seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. The Happily Even After podcast is written by Bob and Dana Gresh. Original music and production by Blake Bratton. And thanks to Moody Publishers for underwriting this episode. Here's what's up next time. We just got the book yesterday, and I was reading the the endorsements. And I had a bad end of the day because some of the people wrote endorsements that talked about the problems in marriage and us working through them. And then a lot of them were like, uh, if you've experienced what Dana's experienced, which is a sexual betrayal and lying of a spouse. Mm-hmm. This is a great book that the Greshes wrote. I was embarrassed. Like I Well, it's not you, that's the old you. That's the old you. You know, and so for on her side of the fence, you know, there'd be a lot of people going, Man, you should have cut bait and ran a long time ago. There will be a lot of people that say that. Yeah. And so the thing is and going, then when do we get to show a world what grace looks like in the most craziest of crazies.